My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. In the dimly lit corridors of the unexplained, we follow Karen Wilkinson, a woman ensnared in a lifetime of alien abductions. But her story takes an unforeseen twist, leading her deep into top-secret military facilities, where she becomes a pawn in a clandestine breeding program. Tonight, we unravel the layers of Karen's reality, where the ordinary collides with the extraordinary in the unsettling terrain of the unknown. Suspend all disbelief, for you are listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, where your open-minded host, Mystic Mark, entertains all perspectives in an effort to understand the esoteric, the uncanny, and the damned. Thank you for tuning in. Now enjoy this conversation with Karen Wilkinson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are back again on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and I am so excited to have this guest on today. She has endured uh, a lifetime of incredible circumstances, both bad and good. And today we're here to talk about her book, Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. Karen Wilkinson joins me on the podcast today. Karen, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. How are you today? Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. I'm just so thrilled to be here with you today and love your show and love being here with you. So thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, let's get right into it. Obviously, you have a new book out. This is your first book, Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest, and it comes with a lifetime of experiences. But before we talk about some of the experiences, tell us about the power or the shift that occurred that allowed you to write this book because i understand you're under you know some pretty sinister forces before yeah before i wrote this book yeah exactly you know it was a really crazy thing that happened some people think it might have happened on purpose i personally have no idea so i don't care to put one way or the other but I had a, what I call a near life experience. Some people call a near death experience, but for me it was closer to life than death because it really renewed my life in a lot of ways. I was having surgery and 
in the operating room, but it wasn't hooked up to anything yet. It wasn't on any monitors. It wasn't, um, it had a lot of surgeries before, so it wasn't unusual for me to just be hanging out in the operating room before I had any kind of anesthesia because I wasn't nervous about it. It's common, but it was a pretty big surgery. And an anesthesiologist came in and she leaned over me. And the one thing I noticed is she, her white lab coat had a pocket that was just full of syringes. And she pulled one out and popped it into my IV port and said, here's your sedative, and then walked away. And she didn't wait and say, how's that feel? That okay? How are you doing? Nothing. She just turned on her heel and walked away. And she gave me a paralytic. And I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I panicked. There was no one there I could to see it. And there were some nurses kind of walking around on the other side of the room, but they weren't paying attention to me. And so I, it was like drowning. It was like drowning, but not in the water. And I was suffocating. I couldn't get anyone's attention. And I knew it was dying. And I'm like, God, what do I do? And as soon as I said that, I heard an audible voice in my head that said, it's okay. You can let go now. And I was in the blink of an eye in an instant, just out of my body and watching everything going on. And I could see through the walls into the other rooms. I could see the doctor getting all the instrumentation and stuff ready for my surgery because I was having more metal rods and things put in my back. And one of the nurses looked over at me and looked at another nurse and said, is she having an allergic reaction? I must have been turning blue. I didn't notice my own color and more noticed them. And and they realized I wasn't breathing and went to get the doctor and he ran in and was yelling bagger. And eventually they ended up intubating me and getting me breathing again. But during that time, I just had the most amazing experience. I felt love and peace beyond anything you can imagine. We don't have any way to describe it. I mean, I cannot describe how peaceful I felt. The amount of love that I felt was just, we don't, there's just no way to describe it. And I was still me. That was what struck me the most. I'm thinking, I'm still me. You know, I can see and hear and everything without a body. Physics and time didn't pass the way it does. So you're you're out of your body. Your physical body is in the operating room or in this hospital bed. Mm -hmm. And did you realize immediately that you're out of body? How? What was like Mm -hmm. your first sense of? Immediately, I realized. I'm out of my body and it felt like I was kind of back into a corner, but not really because there's no corner. You know what I mean? I was just observing from kind of in the room, but I stayed close to my body, my spiritual being. And I knew that I was, I just instinctively knew stay close to your body. So I did. I stayed very close to my body, but I was above it and over to the, what would have been my left side of my body and watching everything and the watching everyone just do everything and try to revive me. And during that time, I had a stroke. I lost the use of most of the right side of my body. I still don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of times I'll smile and stuff and you won't see the right side of my face move. People are like, does that mean she's lying? Her face isn't moving. I'm like, no, I had a stroke. So, you know, you can tell. But but it was just the most amazing thing. And I afterwards, I had some PTSD therapy and that, Actually, because it was such a traumatic event, the strength, the part where I was suffocating and I couldn't have anybody touch my neck. I couldn't, I just, anything that was around me, I just felt like I was not going to be able to breathe. I was 
panicking all the time. That PTSD therapy helped me deal with my lifetime of the alien abduction that I had been going through and all the things that had happened to me because it was such an intense a way to deal with really intense emotions and feelings and things that were just really hard to deal with. And that's what started me down the road to being able to deal with all of this. I mean, I always had the memories. They were always there. I could never look outside at night. I couldn't go outside at night alone. I had all these crazy irrational fears that no one could understand and I couldn't talk about because you don't go and say, well, it's because I've been abducted my whole life. People will look at you like you're crazy, right? And like you say, you know, your family thinks you're crazy. Yeah, try, you know, this one on it. But it helped me to just be able to deal with it and then and really renew my faith as well. And then that gave me the courage and the inspiration to just start talking. And I started talking to L.A. Marzuli. I decided God just hooked, made it so that he was in a place that I could get to. He sat down and talked to me. He didn't even know me. And that just one thing led to another. It was just really, you know, part of God's plan. And that's how it happened. It's amazing. Now, I mean... I imagine, and I don't know this, so please inform us, that these abductions were so traumatic that maybe you blocked them out? I mean, just based on what you're saying, like how much of what you experienced throughout, because your first uh, abduction experience happened when you were very young, right? So this is something that had been going on your entire life. Were you consciously aware of these experiences? Did you kind of, you know, not like were you confused about them did they seem like dreams or have you always known like this is something real that's happening to me and i can't talk about it like take us through that yeah you know obviously i don't know what i don't remember Mm -hmm. i'm sure there are events and abduction events that i still have blocked out your mind is funny that way you know god has that kind of built-in protection for us when he knows it's more than we can deal with i really think that's where that comes into play but No, they've always been very different from a dream. It's always been a very real tactile experience where I've come back with scars or pajamas on inside out or different things happening. You know, it's nothing like a dream. It's just as real as me sitting here, you know, at this table and this desk and talking to you. Um, From as young as I can remember, and it had to have started extremely young because it's hard to have memories when you're two, three years old. But I remember being about that young and being terrified of my father's side of the family because they were very tall, blonde, fair-skinned, fair-eyed people. And they looked a lot like the Nordic-type aliens that I had already encountered. And a small child doesn't make those differentiations that, well, the Nordics' eyes are bigger, they're taller, they're, you know, different. It's just similar enough. You know, if if a kid's afraid of a bee, they're probably going to be afraid of a fly and other things, too. You know, you're not intelligent enough or old enough to make those discernments so as from as young as i can remember it was very real i mean from as little as i can remember i was looking for places to hide at night you know i remember one story i I tell people often is i thought if i could find a big enough suitcase and get in it and zip it up and get it under the bed that maybe that would be enough layers you know of hiding they couldn't find me they'll never look there you know and then one of my siblings said oh no they can see through everything you know that it doesn't matter where you hide you know, so obviously that sibling had some experiences too, but I don't speak for any family members who haven't come forward because that's their story to tell if they want to remember and if they want to tell it. So 
But yeah, since I was very young and they were very real experiences, very real. Wow. Now, without identifying anyone in your family, you have confirmation that they also have had these experiences, right? Uh, yeah, there are other family members who have also had experiences. Yeah. Wow, and that's something we hear from these reports that there there seems to be a genetic relationship or a bloodline familial connection somehow that you know people who experience these things, their parents or grandparents have a higher probability of having experienced it too. So, wow, and I imagine that would make for a tough situation growing up if they were also blocking out those situations because they wouldn't want to open up and talk about it, especially right. with, with someone who, you know, their own child, right? I mean, that's probably right. layers of difficulty there. Layers of difficulty. And also, not everyone remembers as much as I did. There was something different about me from the time I was little, and they noted it, these entities, because... Sorry, my cat. I don't hope you can't hear that in the background. I've got a cat who's yelling at me <laughs> for attention. But they, these entities noted it because I was remembering more than they wanted me to. <clears throat> and I was trying to talk about it as well. And they have an ability to block memories or give you what's called screen memories. So when something is going on, you actually think you're seeing something else, like having a set of VR goggles on would do for you. Or maybe it looks like you're in a nice meadow and there's butterflies flying around, but really you're in a in an observation room on a steel table and they're, you know, doing medical things. So it they have that ability. But for some reason it didn't always work on me. There was something very different about me, and not just me. I think that applies to other people who've remembered as well, who remember more. There's just some of us who it just their their tricks didn't work as well. So I tried to talk about it. But we didn't also have the vocabulary for it back then. I mean, we're talking in the 60s and 70s. There weren't all the movies and books and TV shows and podcasts and things like that. You know, there weren't government panels and stuff. There might have been like Project Blue Book and things like that. But as far as that goes, aside from like Roswell and stuff like that, everyone just, it wasn't mainstream. People didn't talk about it. And also back then, if something weird was going on in your family, you certainly didn't talk about it. It was still in that kind of 1950s, let's all appear perfect on the surface mode, you know? Keeping up with the Jones, yep. Exactly. You don't want to be the family with something freaky going on. So I didn't even know how to describe, I didn't know who they were, let alone what they were and why it was happening. And honestly, from a little kid's point of view, when it's always been happening, you kind of think it's just normal. Mm. And maybe this happens to most people, but we're just not supposed to talk about it. You know, and... They did show me, I was really young, five or six years old, my family being decapitated in front of me, like a screen memory thing. It it looked and felt very real, but it wasn't real, and I knew it wasn't real. But they were like, this is what is going to happen if you talk. We can do this, and we can take, you know, we can hurt your family. We can kill your family members at any time. You can't talk about this. You know, a little kid is like, what? Okay, so I was quiet, you know, um, and when I was about six years old, I, I kind of had a breakdown. They found me in a bathroom stall and at school, just huddled in a corner, and I just kind of had it. You know, I think that's when the break kind of happened, and it's like, I'm going to keep that stuff over here and life over there, and I'm not going to mix the two up anymore because that stuff's too hard to deal with, and it was that 
point at which I was able to have a double life. And that's kind of where I kept it until recently, until I was able to talk about it. Yeah. Now, I've heard about this sort of from different perspectives and even in different, you know, situations, this fracturing of consciousness where, you know, your mind splits in order to save a part of it from the trauma that the other part of it is kind of like sacrificing itself to endure. Is that what you're describing essentially is you, you sort of split your consciousness to try to not understand, but to try to, you know, not fall to these traumatic experiences that were such a, you know, visceral part of your mind at that young age, right? Yeah, I guess it was kind of like that. I mean, I didn't split into two personalities, but what I did was I just learned how to just I could ignore what was going on if I didn't like it mm. and just let my mind go somewhere else okay. and allow myself not to think or feel or react or interact if I didn't want to. So I really learned how to just go within myself if I had to, when I wanted to, when I had to. So for anything different, difficult, that's what I did. I, it it made me kind of an introverted. I always said I'm an extroverted introvert because, mm. you know, I – as I got older, I really liked talking to people. I realized I really liked people, but my whole life I was so introverted because of that. I wasn't quite sure how, you know? So, but it, yeah, if you're, you find a way to manage it without losing it completely. It affects, it affected me in many ways. Now, many. around that age, behavioral psychologists or whoever studies this kind of thing, they say that children typically start to lose uh, a lot of those extrasensory abilities. They start to talk less about these sort of, you know, sort of extraordinary experiences. Obviously, you know, children generally aren't getting abducted and thank God, you know, but children for the most part at that age do have really strange experiences, your precognition and other weird things. Do you think this played into it at all as you got to that age? Like maybe your mind was was changing, you're becoming more of an adult and, and maybe like how, how did that play into it? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I always had this, not always, but as I got older, I realized I had a great deal of what you might call sensitivity where I could always, I knew when something was going to happen. I knew when someone was going to call, I could tell what people were thinking. I knew, you know, things I, other people didn't know. I just, some people call ESP or, you know, extrasensory perception, what have you. I had a great deal of that. I was, and I was dabbled in all kinds of other um, things because of that. You know, I, I could read people's cards. I could lay out cards to tell people what happened in their past, what was going on in their present and what, what was going to happen in their future. You know, these are things the Bible tells us you don't mess with. I didn't know any better. I just knew that I could, and I didn't know how I was doing it. Mm. But I knew that it had something to do with what they were doing and that they were encouraging that those activities in me. Right. And so I was, you know, and it's not like I went out there and advertised myself as someone who did that. Honestly, I didn't want people to know really that I could do it. But there were times when I just did it. You know, I just read someone's cards or, or told someone about a past loved one or things like that. Those are no-nos and, you know, 
that that's opening doors and inviting in entities that we do not want to mess with because you don't know what you're getting when you're getting something from a spiritual realm. You know, we they don't come up and say, hi, I'm one of the good ones or I'm one of the bad right. ones. It doesn't work that way. And even if they did, would you trust them? <laughs> you can't. No, exactly. It's And that's human nature too, right? right? If someone comes up to you and says, hey, let me hold your purse for you. I promise I'm a good guy. Yes. <laughs> you don't well, just believe him. You know? Right. And I think, you know, with these entities, especially, you know, invisible, you know, entities that don't want to show them themselves, it's like, why would you inherently trust something like that? Now, I wonder if there's a part of this force, and I want to get into the aliens, how whatever they are and whatever they represent, but this force that is you know what we'll call aliens i wonder if they're targeting people like yourself who have you know maybe you know these door opening potentials that the bible warns us against because of this very reason that these entities are going to then come and you know mess with us because we're sort of putting that beacon out there Right. Yeah, I think it's a couple of different things. One, I think it's a, you know, when someone gives that permission, I mean, everything in the spiritual realm, whether benevolent or malevolent, has to abide by a very specific set of rules. You know, there are rules out there that are set up by God, and they have to follow those, you know. So it's the, I don't know if you're familiar with Vicki Joy Anderson and her book, They Only Come Out at Night. I think I've heard that name before, but yeah. i got to write it down. You should definitely talk to her. I'll put you in touch with oh, her. Oh, thank you. You know, there has to be, there are permissions and rules. And so someone at some point had to give permission for them to take me. And it could have been as far back. I know you spoke to a woman who was in the Mormon church, and she had bloodlines going back, and she had to break all those generational curses. Those generational curses can provide that um permission right. you know for generations well and and so that's one reason it goes in bloodlines and another reason can be the blood type the genetics they uh, want very specific genetics and like you said the abilities they built so there are a lot of things they look for hmm. and if you got all those which i probably did that's a bonus because then they're getting all kinds of things that they want right right and you just brought uh, a really well, I think it's a great question. You tell me. But a past guest on the show, Joshua Cutchin, he writes about this concept or this idea that the alien abductions of the past 100 or 200 years are very similar to the fairy or fae folk encounters of the, you know, folklore of Europe. And people generally, they take the UFO concept and they're like, oh, that's sci-fi. That's new. It's only happened for the past 60 years, which can you speak to that? Because I think that's just utterly nonsense that this would just all of a sudden start happening a hundred years ago, right? Like this is some, these, these beings are very old, right? Oh, very. This is not new. You can go back to ancient stone carvings that we can't even carbon date or date a time for. Ancient scrolls, ancient texts, ancient books, the Christian Bible. All of these books talk about chariots of fire, pillars of fire, entities that can walk through walls and break chains that can change form and then sit down and eat with you and then go back into the other form and go back into another plane, such as an astral plane or whatever have you. These entities have existed long before us. If from a Christian perspective, um, the Bible talks about the Beneha Elohim, which are the sons of God. And these are the entities that were created before God created men. 
And it says when he recreated the earth, because the earth was in devastation from a previous incursion and incident, that they all shouted for joy because they were so happy to see the earth brought back to form. And that's when God put men on the earth, which also caused some issues because there was then some jealousy. Well, we loved the earth. Now you're giving it to these men you made out of dirt. You know, we were beautiful. These angels were adorned. They said Satan was the most beautiful of all. He was adorned with precious jewels and he fell because he wanted to take God's throne and he took a third of the angels with him. We'll call them angels. That's really kind of a misnomer, but they're angelic beings. They're sons of God, just like we are. We're sons and daughters of God too, because we've been, because of Jesus, we have been given that bridge back into the family. But so these entities you can find in almost every religious belief, every mythology, every historical reference, as far back as you can find information. Right. You know, they were here long before us, and they'll be here after us as well. So it's very possible that, you know, our your great-grandfather or my great-grandfather, you know, any one of us could have, you know, have, a, have an ancestor who interacted with these beings, and that may have been a cause that, you know, still affects us to this day. Absolutely. Wow. And I had a lot of Masonic background in my family as well. Okay. My grandfather was a very high-level Mason. My parents were both in... D. Malay and Eastern Star. I was inducted into Rainbow Girls when I was about 13 or 14 years old. 14? Maybe 14 or 15. Once I got actually through the full induction, I realized this is not, it gave me a sick feeling because you've got a bunch of little girls, probably 15, 14 years old, walking around a room that's ringed with all these old men, watching them walk, you know, around and it was gross. Anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of different things in my history that could have added those permissions, definitely, most definitely. Wow. But as far as the entities go, yeah, they are, we can talk about that more later if you want, but yes. Yeah, well, and it's fascinating to hear the, you know, the background, right? Because I think, again, people have a sort of sci-fi misnomer about this stuff that it's all new and you know, just appeared out of nowhere with this, you know, progress in technology. But it seems it's very old. And I heard you describe while you were being interviewed by L.A. Marzulli, who is uh, helping publish the book and, and wrote the foreword to the book. He, he, asked, he was asking you about the abduction experience. Let's talk about that. But you described a feeling almost like each part of your entire body turned to like a ball bearing and one by one you were like transmuted through your window, right? You weren't actually, the window wasn't open, the doors weren't open, there wasn't a, a hole that opened in the roof. You actually transmuted through the, the material itself. Wow, talk right. about that. It's a very common thing and, and I've talked to so many abductees now. I've had the privilege of being able to speak with and correspond with a lot of abductees, men and women, different countries, different places, different races, ethnicities. It's, it's, this thing has no boundaries as far as who, where, and when some of these things can happen. And we've all had the same experience. You get, you do get a feeling when they're before they show up or when they're about to show up. You just can feel a change in the atmosphere, a change in the room. If you're sensitive, you'll feel that kind of evil coming in. But, and a lot of times it's during an abduction or when it's first starting, some people will see the entities in the room. I often saw the big, the typical grays with the big bulbous heads and the giant black 
kind of stream-like eyes. And they're short, about three to four feet tall. And they would generally be at the foot of the bed or beside the bed, some somewhere in the room, sometimes outside the window. I'm not sure why. but And they would levitate me off the bed. At that point, sometimes you'd be put into a sleep state. We call it being turned off. But not always. And almost always that was a point where sleep paralysis, a type of sleep paralysis would set in where you're awake and aware and you've already been awake and aware. But before you can speak or do anything, you're it's like you're that paralysis. And I think that's why the paralysis event that I had in the hospital was so was just so emotional for me. And I had to get the therapy because having been through so much of that similar kind of thing, only I could breathe in those events. It just brought back a lot of terror for me. But at that point, they'll levitate. They would levitate me off the bed. And, you know, it's funny because I'll talk to people about how close I got to the ceiling and to see the seams and the little curls and the wallpaper or all the little bugs and the dirt and the light fixtures and stuff. It's just these weird things that you would never see as a little child from the vantage point on the bed or the floor, you know, and just crazy things like that, seeing going up through the attic. And I always wanted to go in the attic and my grandmother would never let me, but I knew that all this cool stuff was up there. And she's like, well, how do you know that stuff's up there? I'm like, well, I just want to go see. And I didn't know how to tell her, you know, why? Because I go through it. (laughs) I mean, because it was right over that bedroom. So it's, yeah, you can't. And then I don't want to get in trouble and her think that I snuck up there. So I couldn't tell her that. So anyway, but when you get, when I would get to that point, it's, The room, just everything. Sometimes there's a really low hum and it's like a low hum that goes from low to lower. I don't know if anyone remembers like the THX thing that would come on before movies and do that really low and that gets lower sound. I could never listen to that. It's really similar to that. And then it would just feel like my body was just from the inside out, just starting to almost vibrate and just separate into like, but still together, but in just, just millions and millions of pieces. And I just, you feel yourself go through, but you didn't feel the wall. It didn't feel the window. It just going through it effortlessly. And it, right. you know, and it makes no sense. I mean, it, our minds don't conceive that, but it's different. It's what Dr. David Jacobs calls future physics because it's a physics that we can't explain or understand yet. And someday we probably will. I mean, and look at the differences of things that have happened in the last 20 years, you know. So, and these entities, you have to remember, they're so much older, so much smarter. They are not designed for our world, so we can't keep them in our little box of understanding, right? right, right. They they understand things on a high, much higher plane. They have intelligence we can't understand, and they do things that we just don't understand. Yeah, and they conceivably have had this technology for millions of years, right? So, I mean, what seems effortless to them would take a a whole nation's effort in in our human terms, right? And, yeah, it's really astounding, the description you're giving. I mean, it sounds a lot like, and, uh, you know, this is an intangible, so I appreciate the fact that you're clarifying, saying it's hard to imagine I'm sitting here thinking it sounds a lot like what these quantum scientists struggle to explain with particles Mm. and, you know, how things aren't really material. They're not really physical. It's all just energy. Maybe it's just a matter of loosening those energetic bonds just enough so that everything kind of 
meshes through itself. And I mean, not to get hung up on the details, but where did you, when you phase through your home, where Mm -hmm. did you go? Into a ship, into another place, into another realm? A lot of times it would be just into a light being. Sometimes I, once in a while, I'd be able to see around me things, but usually into a light and then into either a ship or at that point I'd be kind of turned off, knocked out, and I would wake up along the way or getting somewhere or going somewhere. It was different all the time, not every time. There were similar places, some places I went very often, especially when I was little. I was often taken to an underground facility. We know it's underground because we went in an elevator, and I would talk about the elevators that went down and down, and I hated it because I knew we were going so far down that there was no doorway, no way to get out. You know, I just felt trapped. And then I talked about the elevators that went side to side and went diagonal. And uh, then I realized, you know, those side to side elevators were probably some sort of a train or a transport. But I was just a little kid. So, you know, you're getting off one and going into another and doors open the same way as an elevator door would. And I was then I was in a seat and then I was going you know, forward or backwards, depending. So often underground. But, yeah, I think you're right. The physics of it is just something we can't understand and so it's really hard to explain yeah well and you know you say going into a ship and then arriving in these underground bases this is really mm-hmm. i think a, a key detail because a lot of abduction experiences people have this same experience that you talk about where they're turned off and then they're awake all of a sudden somewhere else right and you were able to experience some of the transit because you were awake for a lot of it and that's really incredible that you were able to observe that because it seems like they don't want us observing they just want to maybe for us to be conscious during the experiment side of it they want that quite honestly they have a hard time i think sometimes keeping us subdued or keeping us unconscious you know the human spirit is very strong right and for some people, we just refuse. I mean, I was just one of those little kids that refused to give up. <laughs> I mean, I punched, I wrote about it in my book. I punched an elephant when I was like five or six years old because it stole my cotton candy. <laughs> you know, I was not one of those kids who was afraid of things or who was just going to give up and let someone overpower me. And I was getting tired of it. And I think that's why I kept waking up. And then I think at some point they're like, forget it. She's fine. She knows what she's doing. She knows where she's going. She's not going to scream or yell or cry anymore, you know, because there's a certain point where you also kind of you give in to what's happening. As far as the screaming, yelling, crying, you realize as a little child, that's not going to help anymore. And I think they just kind of stopped trying to put me to sleep all the time. I think they did for the more scary things, like more scary procedures and things like that. No, but for the most part, they just let it go. Now, these beings, you're obviously a child. Did they seem to have any empathy or any sort of emotion at all like you know you would expect an adult to have towards a a child like were they at all human like uh, or just completely alien completely cold no especially those nordic looking entities and you know i think that's why i was so afraid of my father's side of the family because they looked human enough that i think as i was hoping 
that they would have some empathy towards me, but they were just mean. They just had nothing. I mean, there was a complete lack of kindness, of empathy, of of understanding. There, you can tell that I could tell that some of the entities I encountered had learned just how to deal with people. So they were using a sort of psychology as far as going, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. But when you say that, or you speak that a lot of mind speak going on you know with these entities without any uh genuineness or authenticity yeah, yeah with any authenticity without any inflection to your voice mm-hmm. you know you're saying it's fine it's going to be fine it's going to be fine right. just, just very like that. dry yeah i mean it doesn't do any good you know but they're yeah. you know i could tell they were trying to deal with us as far as who we were and how we acted and reacted but they didn't care how I felt, what I was going through. They, I was a means to an end. And well, for it, my whole life, I was a means to an end for them. And I ask this because it, there does seem to be different camps as far as the Absolutely. whole alien situation mm-hmm. goes. And some authors have this whole perspective that, oh, it's love and light. And even though I was being abducted, this was all for the betterment of my karma and these beings care about me on a deep level and this was all for my experience and you know i wonder you know based on your experience it really doesn't seem like any of that is going on it doesn't seem like these beings have your best interest in mind or that they're somehow karmically teaching you anything they're just using you like like a farmer would use a cattle in a, in a factory farm right i mean that right i mean they did teach me things they taught me when i was really little that everything is made of energy and they taught me about magnets and they taught me about math and they you know i was one of these kids that never had to open a book and just was able to skate through school and you know, I, I they tried to indoctrinate me into a program of believing that they were our benevolent space brothers and mm. believing that they were here for a greater good. And I understand how people can believe that. And I'm not judging anyone who believes that, trust me. But what I will say is I have a savior who suffered for my sins. I don't have to suffer to elevate myself and i don't want to elevate myself i want to fall on my knees and worship my god and my creator you know i'm not a co-creator i have a creator who i am wonderfully and beautifully made just like you and we are all individual and that is the beauty of of my creator you know that he doesn't want me to suffer for my sins that suffering already happened that price got paid for me. So, you know, when these things happen, I was buying into it for a while and I was kind of in the program and believing that they were love and light, but it's like an abuser giving you a gift, you know, they're beating the crap out of you one minute. And then the next day they come home with a pretty piece of jewelry so that you don't tell the neighbors that you're getting beaten up or whatever. It's, you know, it's that kind of, just giving you enough to keep stringing you along and an abusive relationship, you know, psychologically is really hard to get out of because you really feel like, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. And well, that only happened to me because I deserved it because I was bad. You know, and that's not true. That's never true. You should never victim shame anyone and kidnapping a little child. Well, since when is there anything benevolent about that? Right. 
terrifying a little baby, a little kid, or think about the, even the cows in the field. I mean, oh, yeah. just they're helpless. You know, it's like throwing, it's like kicking a kitten across the road. That's not okay. There's just never an opportunity, never a time when that, there's just no excuse. It's cruel. It, it really is cruel. cruel. And it, you know, when we get into the darker details of all this and really what your um, title, the title of your book implies, Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest, is that, you know, these beings are, and I know this sounds really, you know, dark, but they're farming us, right? Like the analogy of, you know, being in a factory farm, I mean, it's really dark and I hate to, you know, say, oh, you're just, you know, you were put through a factory farm because you're a human being. No human being should be put through that, but... I mean, how else are we to reconcile this? Charles right. Fort, you know, his many years of looking into this back at what, in the 1800s? I think he died in 1930, Charles Fort. And he came to this mm -hmm. conclusion after looking at all these strange anomalous reports that there there must be some sort of invisible force above us that's for, yeah. like farming us, right? So, oh, yeah. you know... Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest, you know, this is the title of your book. Let's get into the details on why you would name it that. And is it, as I'm kind of describing, is it really that dark? It really is that dark. Wow. Yeah, it's very dark there. You know, I try to pepper the book with some of the really positive experiences that I've had. I've had experiences with really beautiful, benevolent, angelic entities. You know, they are out there as well and, and I want people to remember that and there are a few places in the book where I warn the reader that if this is uncomfortable then you might want to skip this part because the uncomfortable truth is this has been happening you know back to if you go back to Genesis 6 in the first incursion of the fallen watcher angels when they saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they chose of them wives of all who they pleased and they had children with them, and these were the Nephilim, the giants, the mighty men of old. That's where it started. And unfortunately, it's never stopped. I mean, those first 200 were chained in Tartarus. They had to watch their Nephilim children die in the flood. These children then became the what we know today as demons, the demonic spirits that roam the earth. Because they were neither from heaven nor from the, the human world, from earth. So... And they were an abomination in God's sight. They weren't one of God's creations. So they were damned to rule, roam the earth until the final judgment, which is why in the Bible, when Jesus comes up to some of the possessed people, the, the uh, demonic entities will say, you've come to judge us before our time. You know, they know it's not their time yet. And they know when their time is. We don't know that, but they know that. Um, and um, so they're obviously kind of at a, a level above us because they have that sons of god genetics and they have human genetics but so these entities these demonic entities these demons are what roam the earth now but i'm digressing sorry um but that's this has been happening for a very long time since then and the bible tells us that we'll know when the we're in the end times and the days are getting close because it will be like it was in the days of noah and what was happening in the days of Noah? Well, the genetic experiments, the mixing of species. You know, you they were mixing different animals, humans with fallen watchers. Not just that, though. Humans and animals, different animals with each other. What are we doing today? I mean, you can Google, you know, just type in mixing animals and there's dozens of 
articles and reports and things and we're cloning things and we're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, we're making, we have artificial blooms. So, but what happened to me is not an isolated incident. It's something that's, I've spoken to many women who've had a similar experience in L.A. Marzulli's UFO movie series, which is the UFO Disclosure series. Sorry, I was looking to make sure I said the name right. But in the fourth movie in that series, he talks to me and three other people and another woman who had a really similar experience to mine, Angela. And I was impregnated by these entities. I was raped. I was, my eggs were taken. You know, they did different things. I wasn't raped to impregnate me. (laughs) That was just part of the dark part of what they do. But they did take my eggs. They did fertilize them, put them back in. I would, I was pregnant the first time I was in maybe 22 and I was married. So it wasn't that I didn't think I could get pregnant. So it wasn't, I just didn't expect it. We weren't trying to. So it was, you know, a a surprise. And in about the third month, I just, I didn't feel good. I was spotting, but I didn't lose the baby. I didn't see any physical miscarriage, but I was cramping so bad and spotting so bad that middle of the night, you know, three in the morning, whatever, my then husband took me to the hospital and they did an ultrasound and there was no baby. There was no heartbeat. And they did a DNC and there was no fetal tissue, none. If I had a miscarriage, there would at least be some fetal tissue still in there or something. But my uterus was clean. I had been to the doctor. This is a verified, confirmed pregnancy. It was almost in the third. It was almost the end of the third month. And this happened over and over again to me. It was terrifying. You know, these, and I didn't get to. I didn't get to mourn those babies. I didn't know if they were boys or girls. All I knew is my babies were gone. And I thought they were dead. You know, it was terrible. But then a couple of years ago, it wasn't very long ago, it was just a few years ago, I was praying about it. And I really thought that if these babies were half mine, then they could be half good. And maybe if I could get them, I could take care of them and they would just be okay, right? They could be normal like people. And I learned that's not the case. I had an experience with them, an encounter where three of them, I got showed up in my home and it was terrifying. They, they weren't, there was just no love. All I felt was just evil emanating off of them. It was the coldest It was so weird because as soon as I saw them, I knew they were mine. And I just wanted to jump up and hug them. You know, I just wanted to get them. And they didn't want that. They wanted me to come with them. But they they had no love for me, no care, no compassion. They were as cold as any other entity I'd ever encountered on one of those ships or underground or wherever I'd encountered them. So, yeah, I they tried to levitate me off the bed not you know so they tried to pull me away because I was on the bed at the time and I was like why are you doing this you know I just wanted to love them and it was just so evil and then I called out to Jesus I was like Jesus help me what's going on why and as soon as I did that as soon as I said Jesus name 
they just took off. They're gone in an instant. And that was the end of it. And I think God allowed that to happen so that I would have my closure. Right. Because my heart just yearned for them. I mean, as a mother, my heart yearned for them. I have children that I love very much. And I adopt any kid who comes by, anyone who wants to be my kid. I'll be like, come on in. You know, that's how I am. And maybe that's why. I don't know. But I did need that closure. And I, I finally got that closure. So, and I realized they're no different. They're just a modern day Nephilim, just like the ones that we read about in the Bible and the extra canonical books like Jasher and, and Enoch and those books, which some people are familiar with. They look different, but they're no different than those Nephilim of old times. Yeah. Well, God bless you for your bravery and, you know, the ability to speak this to the world because I can't imagine the women out there who aren't able to speak this and have endured these tragic and terrible circumstances and, and, you know, are feeling like they have no voice. And I hope your book can reach them and they can maybe find that closure themselves in a way that doesn't, doesn't, you know, isn't so confronting. Cause yeah, that is, yeah, that is really hard to, hard to hear. And Karen, again, I commend you for your bravery. I mean, God bless you. You know, this is. It's all God. I don't know how I'm doing this, except that I was directed to do it. And, you know, I would wake up every day and God would just say, right. And I'm like, what do I write? God's like, write your truth. And it just, it, that's what I wrote, but I want it to be okay. You know, I want it to be okay for people to talk about this. Mm. I want it to be okay for someone to go to their friend or their pastor or their neighbor or whoever and say, Hey, this happened to me and I'm having a real hard time with it. I just need to talk about it and deal with it or to go to a therapist or whoever, but you can't go and say, Hey, I've been taken my whole life and I've had babies ripped from my womb and I've had all this stuff go on and I need to learn how to deal with it. Nobody wants to hear that. Well, and, and but, you know, to get a little conspiratorial, I wonder how much that's due to these forces infiltrating the authorities in government and religion. I mean, oh, absolutely. I, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and whatever it was inside of me that was looking for a, a, a true spirituality showed me a way away from the catholic church and when i was young that you know it, that appeared as atheism and slowly i grew out of that and realized there is a creator and there is a god but you know and not to pick on catholics if there's any catholics listening but i just i feel like there's a, a strong possibility that the reason why these sorts of experiences aren't generally given respect or even sort of rational you know the rational response that is really required is because there's some sort of manipulation going on behind the scenes where they're stopping these priests or whoever who are supposed to be kind of in, in charge of helping us through these experiences. They've been, you know, bought out or manipulated long ago. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, not they just like the Catholic Church. I have a lot of wonderful friends who are Catholic and I love them dearly and they love God dearly. But I think all religious beliefs, all churches right now, most all, and I'm not going to say all because there are some one, some out there that don't, but for the most part, churches don't, don't teach the truth in the whole Bible. They'll teach the pieces that they're comfortable with, and they kind of leave the rest. They get to something like Genesis 6 or Genesis 3.15, and they're like, they'll read it real quick or they won't read it all, and they're, we're just going to skip over that because most people don't understand it or whatever. So they're obfuscating 
these parts of the Bible or they don't want to teach the more esoteric, the, the strange parts of the Bible, the parts that sound scary or different or strange or, you know, paranormal in, in that type of thing. They don't want to, the church doesn't want to teach the Bible. They want to teach the easy parts. They want to teach the Sunday school version well into adulthood. And that's not okay. It's hard to find a church that will teach the whole Bible. It's hard to find people who want to talk about what's really going on in the world. I mean, you know, there are whistleblowers in the government sitting there saying, yeah, we have ships. Yeah, we have biologics. Has that changed anybody's opinion about UFOs? No, not really. All it's done is take the few of us who know that they're real and people like you and me and said, well, see, I told you, but nobody wants to hear our I told you so's either because they don't want to hear there's too much cognitive dissonance going on. They don't want to hear what's going on with the government or they're just going to keep kind of listening into it until it just becomes another one of those things. And they've kind of dulled everyone to the point that it's no longer interesting or something to think about or worry about. It's just there. Um, but yeah, um, that's kind of a long answer. Sorry. No. <laughs> I do think the churches don't teach real spirituality. They don't teach the realness and the wholeness of the Bible. Yeah. You know, and people get bored and they make it sound like you have to walk this very specific path and this specific line and do it the way this person says, you know, Jesus says, just come to me. Right. You know, accept me. Right. Repent of your sins. He's got the rest. We don't have to suffer. He already paid that price. You know, <laughs> it's easy stuff. It's easy stuff. And then we don't have to suffer from things like these entities. But you're right. If it is the dark entities that are behind our governments and our churches and everybody else, why would they want people to know that it's so easy to stop these attacks? Yeah. Then they lose control. If we were all understanding the authority that is out there for us through Jesus, through God, through our creator, they'd lose all control. They hmm. definitely don't want that. They being the powers that be that are in control that are run by the dark forces. Right. Well, and I think it's a, it's something as simple as, you know, the economy, right? Because it, it, you you can take that as a overarching kind of trickle effect that affects all things. I mean, uh, money has its influence in all these places, and even in the church, you know, you have this imperative that goes beyond lo the, our Lord and following the Bible because they're worried about keeping lights on in the church. And I mean, that's just a, a sort of root of the example. And there's a whole well, yeah. discussion there. The but, evil, right? Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I wonder if it's not even that these dark forces have to necessarily trick every priest and be cajoling every single structure of human society. It's just that one switch that they need to get into the minds of one person. And it creates this domino effect where, okay, now we're all banking and oh now it's all debt you know and obviously you're not here to talk about our crumbling financial system but oh, it affects all of us though doesn't it i'll I, talk about that too i don't mind i mean because that's something that affects everyone doesn't it and right it's out of our control because they control the prices and the incomes and everything else i mean you know it's there's just no way to to make it anymore unless you're you know, I'm not saying anyone who has money is dabbling in something dark, but they certainly are making it more um, difficult to become yeah, wealthy. More difficult yeah, difficult to, to do it without getting involved in something nefarious. 
Well, and I think that's nefarious, more palatable. Yeah, I think that's a big part of this, where they corrupt people, and you know, whether willingly or knowingly, you participate in this sinful thing, and then now you're part of this corrupt paradigm that allows for these things to happen on, on a mass scale. But let's get back to the, you know. The, the whole process, I mean, obviously this is a, a tough subject, but I, I really, I got to ask because I'm sure people at home are, are curious, you know, is this, these Nephilim that are obviously using human beings to create hybrids, create, you know, the breeding essentially, is it because they cannot themselves incarnate here physically without sort of getting whatever's going on with humans they need to inherently interact with us in order to interact on the earth like talk about why like what why are they doing this what's the the imperative for them yeah there's definitely something holding them back i think that there's a permission that they don't have because when god sends angels they can just walk among us they can be with us they can i've had angelic encounters that are amazing and they've been sent by god but i think they have to have that permission to be allowed to be here existing in this plane, in our environment, under our sun, that kind of thing. What you what we see is these little gray aliens that come to get people that are the ones that would come in and be in my room or that everyone seems to see, right? The common three to four foot bulbous head, black eyed gray alien. I really believe, and uh, many of my friends are in agreement with me, that these are an avatar type meat suit basically, that is made to inhabit demons. Demonic entities, like I said, are the spirits of the deceased Nephilim. (laughs) And we know that these demons want to inhabit a body, right? That's huge. They're always looking for someone or something to inhabit, whether it's a person or an animal, what have you. So this gives them a body to inhabit. It gives their elders these fallen angelic beings is what I believe the alien the ETs are um, a body that can come here into our space where humans are on earth come and pick us up you know do their dirty work and think about it if these greys are in the ships and the ship crashes and we're going in there to grab whatever died in the ship it's just an empty suit at that point You know, there's nothing in it, and we're not going to get anything. I've seen these things up close. They smell bad. They're like a cross, I've said, between a dead animal and sulfur. They have, they have, their eyes don't seem to move. They seem very stationary, like it's just like a, almost like a plastic screen in front. They, their arms and legs are so thin, looks like you could just snap them in two. Their bodies just don't look like there's anything in there. You know, you don't see any movement, no beating heart, no breathing. Their mouths don't open. Their noses don't move. You know, they don't really have ears or anything. They're literally just, they have just enough movement and ability to get the job done and not get themselves in trouble. Because if it was a demon and they had sexual organs, they'd probably be raping people or screaming obscenities at people if they had a mouth or things like that. So whoever designed these, that was pretty smart thinking like we got to restrict the demons a little bit. Well, and um, it sounds like uh, a husk, what people describe like these, you know, from like ancient and medieval times descriptions of demons like this sulfur smelling and like, wow. So 
And some smell worse than others. I don't know if it has to do with the age of that suit or how it's been stored or where it goes. You know what I mean? But that explains why why some smell worse than others. Some of them are just... That explains why these bodies that are allegedly recovered from UFO crashes are basically non-existent after a matter of time because there's nothing really organic about them. It's like a, just kind of like a physical husk with a, a right. entity no inside of it. There's no or anything in there. It's just, yeah, like we can create skin in a lab. It's just like that, right? Wow. So, And then there are other grays that aren't like that. There are grays that I have encountered who are taller than those. Their eyes actually do move, like shift back and forth. They are um, more sturdy build. They have like wrinkles on their faces. Their mouths actually open and close. These, I think, are what those suits are modeled after, but these are actually a race of beings that I have encountered on the ships or underground. I've never seen one come into my room or outside my window. Obviously, I don't think they can survive here. I really don't think they can survive in our atmosphere. I think they could probably use the gray suits for themselves if they made them the right size. You know what mm, I mean? Right. Um, but they need that sort of middleman because we're inherently in a atmosphere or a gravity situation, whatever it is about our earth that, you know, maybe right. it's not even physics. Maybe it's something spiritual. Maybe it's something. I think it's both. I yeah. think you're right. I think it's a little bit of both. I think after the flood of Noah, God changed some things up. Right. I think it changed because I don't think there was rain before then. I don't think there were crops before then. I think that's why Noah got drunk on the wine because he started a vineyard. I don't think he'd ever had that kind of wine before, right? I think that he changed through from permissions. You know, we don't have all of that information because it doesn't affect our salvation, so we don't need it. Mm. But there, if you read some of the extra-canonical books like Enoch and Jasher and those books, you can find out a lot more about that. And I do write a little bit about Noah in the book because of that, because I think it's important. It shows a turning point where these sons of God that fell, you know, we don't see them walking among us anymore like they did back in those days, in the mm. days of Noah. You know, or, or Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, where right. the angels walk into the city with them and boy, they wanted them, right? They must have been beautiful. Yeah. And I believe angels can come and be around us with permission. I've had an angelic encounter that was amazing where they helped me and saved me. But I do think there is a lot to that. Yeah. Well, I do want to ask about your angelic encounter. I have it written down here. Okay. But before we, we get into that, it's fascinating these details that you're sharing about, you know, the limitations of these beings. And it explains a lot as to why they would need to come here and bring us to a certain place before these experiments take place rather than just doing it in the ship. There's Really, it's really fascinating because unrelated to this conversation, I was just speaking with a gentleman about his research into like inventors who experience kind of weird insights and then go and invent really strange things. And you might have listened to this conversation. I don't know, but you're familiar with the topic maybe based on your your reaction. So Victor Grabinikov, he invented this really weird device. He's a Siberian scientist. So, you know, it's behind the iron curtain. We don't have a lot of information about his whole life, but uh, Grabinikov... He 
invented this craft that could fly allegedly. We won't get into all the details. People can listen to that episode to hear more about it. But one of the things that he described while flying this craft was that it had a negative effect on him internally. Like he realized that if he flew around in this thing for too long, it would not only make him like hallucinate, but it would make him physically ill and, and sick. So maybe that explains why they have these gray robots, these biological robots in there, because the flying saucers are just like, they go so fast and defy what is, you know, what we can endure as a organic life form. And maybe these taller grays, you know, they conform to some of the same limitations that we do as humans. So they need yeah. to create these little, you know, replaceable beings. I mean, just a little bit of, you know, speculation here, but I thought that kind of fit into what you described. That really does fit well. No, that's a really good point. And I think that you're definitely onto something with that too, because yeah, I think that there's just, there are so many limitations and things going on here that we just don't know. We don't understand. I mean, they manipulate space, time, energy, and matter, as Ellie Marzulli likes to say, in ways that we can't um, understand. And we just, we have a lot to learn, you know, and I think we're getting a lot of our technology and our information from them to begin with. Right. And they're feeding it to us as they want us to have it. Right. So if we get too far ahead, then we'll, they'll lose their advantage as well. So there's a certain importance to keeping us dumbed down as much as possible. Well, and, you know, there's a famous quote that people often, you know, pull out when they start talking about this subject. That's, uh, I think, Arthur C. Clarke or someone like that who said, you know, sufficient or sophisticated enough technology is indistinguishable from magic to a primitive culture, right? And I wonder if the inverse of that idiom is true, where these beings are creating technology that is inherently based around sorcery. It's not that they've, you know, created something so technological that, oh, it appears that way to us. It appears magical. What if it actually is sorcery? What if it is magic? And it goes into a different paradigm. Exactly. And what if sorcery is actually, for them, more like physics is for us? That's yeah, exactly. And I do have that quote in my book, the Arthur C. Clarke book, <laughs> in the the first chapter of my book. So I love it's that. So funny that you brought that up. I'm like, oh, I have to show you that. Wow, um, look at that. And yeah. I think that look at that little mind melding yeah, right we're there. We're on the same track. Yeah, I, for full disclosure, folks, I haven't received a, a copy of the book yet, so I'm excited yeah, to and you know <laughs> read it. And obviously, I'd love to have you back on into oh, in sure. the future. But once I read it, but anyways, wow, yeah. So on that point, I mean, it does kind of put this biblical perspective on things because that's a big part of what the Bible warns us against is participating right. in and this why? kind of stuff. Why does the Bible warn us against that? You know, because we can't handle it. We're not sufficiently equipped. We don't have the discernment to tell the good from the evil and the right from the wrong. And we also, we aren't necessarily equipped to handle what it would do. It's like giving a toddler a lit torch gun, you know, and saying, here, go play with this, you know, or this fire thrower or flamethrower, you know, you don't do that. (laughs) Okay. For the same reason, we are careful with our children and what we allow them to have and do it's i really think it's similar to us you know these are things we we don't have the capability to manage or deal with properly and in the wrong hands can cause a lot of danger a lot of trouble so 
you know, where we think, oh, dad, you're not letting me do that. It sounds like it's really fun. Well, there's a reason, mm. you know, mm. we may not understand it now, but I'm sure someday we will and be like, oh, phew, thank you for keeping that away from us. We could have done some real damage with that, you know, mm. Mm. so you've got to really, you know, I try to look at both sides of everything and really think through, Wonder, I wonder why this is happening. I wonder why we're not supposed to do that. And that's really all I can come up with on that front. But I do think, yeah, what we consider magic, they probably consider just everyday arts and physics and everything else. Well, and, you know, people who are latched on to science will say like, oh, well, that's foolish. We don't know how far we can go until we go there. But if you look around the planet, we have all these examples of ancient cultures who did things that we can't do today, right? The pyramids and so on, moving huge blocks of stone. What if that's exactly what the Bible was created to do? To say, hey, folks, like, you screwed up. I let you just take over the shop. I came back as your Lord and creator, and I realized that I didn't give you enough rules because you went and screwed everything up. So here are your rules. Here's a flood. Here's a reset. And maybe that's why we have all these stone structures around the planet that kind of point to this ancient, you know, I think you're right on the nose with a lot of that. (laughs) I really do. And I think these angelic beings that were here before us kind of did the same thing. You Mm. know, I think they really screwed up too. And that's why Satan and the third of them fell because they're like, well, look at all this. Well, there's, I can run this. I can run this show too, you know, and that's when he rebelled and he still thinks he can run the show. He still thinks he's better than his creator, which I just, I don't understand. But, you know, people who say the Bible is a bunch of hooey, ask any Satanist, they know the Bible better than most Christians ever will. You know, Mm. and there's a reason for that Mm. because it's not hooey. They need to know it because that's how they're getting their energy and their strength too, because they have to understand both sides of it very well. You know, it's it, there's a lot of dangerous spaces out there, and we have to be careful where we're playing and just make sure we're being protected. And these entities, these alien entities, are can be very dangerous if you are not don't know how to protect yourself and how to keep them away from you. And I do not ever recommend that anyone go out there looking for them or calling on them, because that, you might as well be summoning a demon. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's something that you hear more often than not just with alien abductions, with all sorts of occult interactions where people try and go use things like Ouija boards. And I know that sounds cliche, but there's even, you know, things like synchronicity that can get people in in a string of bad luck and where they intended to have good luck. And you have to wonder, like, maybe that's because they're dabbling in opening up these doorways and you just open it up just a little bit and it leaves enough room for something to slip through. Right. I mean, we've got to remember everything has a price. Mm. Everything like that has a price. Jesus paid the price for salvation. So salvation doesn't have a, had a, had a price and Jesus paid that. God paid that when he came down as a man and paid the price for the fact that we're fallen and sinful. But, So we don't have to worry about that. But everything else, you know, it's the balance is there. You know, if you take one from here, you have to put one over there. Mm. You know, it's that's how it works. You know, the scales are always having to be balanced. So if you're getting something for free, you're not. You're going to pay somewhere down the road. Guarantee it. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, brings me back to and I 
apologize. I've been researching this whole Atlantis topic and, you know, it's a huge topic, but, you know, one of the things that has come through channelers like Edgar Cayce, which not quite a channeler the same way, you know, Abraham Hicks is, but Edgar Cayce is, you know, very well known for his ability to heal and give people accurate readings. But one of the great story. Well, and one of the things that came through with him is that the people in this ancient time, this lost civilization, they had a, a device that was too powerful. It was so powerful that it ended up, you know, causing a lot of good, but then created equal and opposite bad for all the good it created. Right. And I think that's, uh, you know, part of this whole message is like, you know, you can't get something for nothing. And they tried to create this free energy thing that ended up backfiring and destroying their whole civilization. I mean, that's just what Edgar Cayce kind of deduced through his past life readings. But, you know, who's to say that's not accurate, given all the things that scientists are finding now with, you know, a big cataclysm that occurred. They call it the Younger Dryas period. Yeah. But, you and know, it's I, cyclical, right? Every 12,000 years we get these these pole shifts and these changes and these ice ages happen right. and, and we're about due for one. So, you know, well, and, and warming, I don't think so. I think what we need to worry about is the pole shift that's probably coming. Well, and where better to survive all that stuff than in an underground bunker where these beings are, you know, yeah. allegedly that's where they are. Right. You know, I mean, right. uh, there could be. And who else supposedly has underground bunkers? Mm, right. Um, <laughs> a lot of very wealthy people, right? Yeah, They're going to be just fine. Mm. Us, well, you know, well, we're disposable still. I mean, I've been treated that way by these entities my whole life. Why would it change now? Right. Yeah. But God doesn't treat me like I'm disposable. Okay. God treats me like I'm the most precious thing ever, you know, and that's the difference. Mm. That's the difference between benevolence and malevolence, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's how I know the difference. Wow. Well, and let's get into the difference because we talked about these negative experiences a bunch and, you know, I'm sure people are frightened. Uh, <laughs> I don't want anyone to be frightened. Well, so please don't be frightened. no, and but, I, I say that in jest because I, yeah, it is, I try to have fun on this show, scary. but it is a serious, it's a serious topic. So maybe to lighten things up a little bit, let's talk about your angelic encounters and, and show well, people absolutely. that, you know, there is just as, there is an equal good side to this right there is god is out there and he is good and when you call on him he does hear you uh, it was after that near life experience i described earlier they went ahead with the surgery which they really shouldn't have done and i was waking up in the recovery room and every time i'd wake up i was just screaming in agony i don't think my spirit wanted to come back in my body you know and my blood pressure would just go off the charts and my you know, I think they were afraid I was going to have a heart attack or a stroke, so they kept putting me back under. And every time they bring me out, the pain was just overwhelming, excruciating. And after about three and a half hours of this in and out of anesthesia, trying to get me back, you know, into recovery, I remember praying to God, going, God, please help me. I don't know what to do because I realized this cycle was going to end in a very bad way if something didn't change. And the next time I opened my eyes, there were these two young male orderlies standing at the foot of the bed, and they were comforting me, and they calmed me down. They told me everything was going to be okay. They just, you know, they 
they just made everything okay. They calmed me down. They were sweet. I just remember looking at them going, you look like you could be two of my kids. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you so much for helping me. I don't know how I would have got through this without you guys. All of a sudden, even though I was in pain, I was suddenly able to come out of anesthesia, calm down, be calm enough to get, you know, on the oxygen, get back to just breathing on my own and being okay. And, you know, I had a million bazillion things stuck on me and wires and stuff because I, you know, because I had stopped breathing and because I'd had a stroke, they were, you know, very concerned about everything. But these guys were just so sweet and so loving and so lovely. And they just stayed with me until I was, you know, calm enough. And and then we went to leave the recovery room. And shortly after they showed up to go up to the room and remember my husband and my daughter were standing there and I grabbed their hands. I'm like, you have to meet these boys. Oh, they're so amazing. I said, Honey, they look like they could be two of our kids. You know, they're just the sweetest kids. And I looked at the nurse. And I said, where are the boys, the orderlies that were with us? And she's like, honey, I don't know who you're talking about. And I said, you know, they were with me in recovery and all the way up in the elevator and down the hall. Where did they go? And nobody had any idea who were, I was talking about. You know, they're like, there were never any other orderlies, just us, you know. And I kept asking everybody and no one knew who I was talking about. They, no, they were never there, you know. And I never saw them again, never saw them anywhere in the hospital. I looked, uh, trust me, I looked. And I concluded at the end, you know, they also never spoke to me physically. And then I'm thinking about, they didn't have any badges on. They were just wearing scrubs. And they were just, and they were, I believe that they were, this was an angelic encounter. Because no one else saw them. No one could find them for me afterwards. No one knew who I was talking about. And so, you know, when I called out to God for help. He sent these entities to be with me. These are also sons of God, but Elohim. They came and helped me. They didn't hurt me in any way. They didn't take me against my will. They didn't do anything negative or bad. All they did was help, follow out God's orders, and then they were gone. That's a benevolent being. You know, that's that again is the difference between one and the other. You know, when I compare the and contrast the two, it's very easy for me to identify the good from the bad in that respect. But so that was really an amazing um, encounter. So, you know, I try to put some of those positive, amazing encounters in there just because I want people to remember there may be some bad things out there, but there's some really good things out there too. Yeah, that's incredible. And I'm so happy that you shared that, you know, in light of everything. Cause yeah, it is, I mean, it is something that people are afraid of and to know that there are these beings out there who are as powerful or more powerful, I would say more powerful is probably the more yeah. accurate way of describing them who are equally able to intercede, right? Because right. that's something that's really, I mean, I hate to use that word frightening again, but that's what's so frightening is that they can just, these beings can intercede at any point. You, know, you could be sleeping in the comfort of your home and be woken up in the middle of the night and taken deep underground. Right. I mean, this is unsettling. There needs to be permission though. Remember somewhere along the line, someone you or someone else has to have given permission. Well, and let's get into and that's that because break those. Permissions. Yeah, how do we begin to break that? Because yeah. I, I think you've kind of—I don't know if I asked you directly yet—but how how did you break that? And because whatever it was that had bonded you to these beings, you know, happened much before you came into this, you know, life, right? right? So how right. did you break it? 
Well, it was learning about putting on the full armor of God, Ephesians 11 and 12, about that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spirits and things that we can't necessarily always see, and realizing that there is a pecking order, there is a hierarchy, and Jesus is at the very top. And if you call on him, he his authority is more than enough to stop them in their tracks. And someone like, like a high, I'm going to put you in contact with her, but... I had the book, They Only Come Out at Night by Vicki Joy Anderson. She's like a sister to me. She's an amazing author. She's an expert in this field and in the different permissions and breaking those permissions that have been put on people's lives. I know that the lovely woman you had on who was embroiled in the Mormon church, she just wrote down all those things and said, I break all these. That's enough. You can just pray about it and just say, Lord, break all these, any permissions, any agreements made for me, by me, known or unknown to me, that I, you know, I pray that are not with you, God, I pray that you will break those and they'll be broken. You know, if you just pray it and believe it, that's pretty much it. But she's the real expert on that. Highly recommend getting that book or talking to her or just even going online. There's so many resources out there. You can find her and me both on Instagram. So you can find more there too and Facebook. But yeah, that's how I stopped it. And once I realized that I could call on the authority of Jesus and they couldn't take me anymore, they stopped. They didn't. And I've seen them outside my window. And I've been like, too close. I rebuke you. Get the heck out of here. You know, and because they can't come in anymore. They can't come near me. They can't take me. The only, you know, there's just, there's nothing they can do anymore. And it not, doesn't just work for me. It's worked for everyone I've talked to who's ever had this problem. And I, I was about there. to say, uh, you know, before our interview, I've been listening to tons of different abduction stories and just to kind of get my head in this area. And there's tons of cases where people, and I don't know, you know, whether they were even all Christians, but there was one story exactly one story where a guy, he wasn't a Christian, he didn't even really ever go to church or anything like that, never picked up the Bible, but he had this terrifying encounter, and something inside of him just compelled him to say, to call out Jesus's name, and when he did, everything stopped, and he was kind of, you know, back, or maybe put back on the ground, something really, I forget if it was a UFO that was picking him up, or these beings that had confronted him, but when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's you know, that's noteworthy to me because a lot of researchers will try to explain that away and say like, oh, well, you know, this person has such a strong belief in their mind that, you know, that belief has power and that emotional, you know, power hit this being, you know, or whatever, however they're going to make sense of it. But here's a person who didn't really even believe in any of it. He just kind of was compelled in that moment to say that how do you explain that if there isn't this force out there protecting us right right yeah because that's the beauty of having a loving creator i mean it's like the story of the prodigal son i mean think about it if one of your kids you know if for those of you out here there who are parents if you had a kid who left home and decided they didn't want anything to do with you and then came home and said mom i still love you i'm sorry what are you going to do you're going to grab that kid and hug him or her as hard as you can you know you know, as soon as they call out to you, you better believe that you're going to be there. And it's the same thing. We have a loving God. I mean, he loves us. And you don't have to have gone through all these very specific steps for him to love you. He just does. 
and you don't have to understand how it works. It just does. Right. And, you know, so to call on Jesus' name, as long as you know that he is the authority, then that works, you know, and it's just, that's just, that's the beauty of having a loving creator. And if you've fallen away or you don't know him, he's going to give you a chance to get to know him. Mm. Or find him or come back to him. You know, in my case, I was falling away. I was living a life I was not proud of, but I didn't think twice about it until all of a sudden one day I woke up and I was just like, oh, you know. And now, you know, and then I fell on my knees and just repented it because it the the world has a way of really making it hard to see when we're doing something bad or ugly or evil and just really covering that up and making it okay. You know, when you're in the world, everything's easy to a point until you have to pay the price. Like you said, mm. there's always a price. There's always a price at the end. There's no price at the end of the of salvation. It's just, it's a bonus. You, the, 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 you get a gift, the free gift of eternal life. So instead of paying a price, you're actually getting something. Yeah. Well, I think that inherently is why this earth is so difficult, like, to come here and to go through this physical experience, you know, mm -hmm. there are so many trap doors and so many easy ways to just mm -hmm. kind of lose sight of our real spiritual potential and our mission here, right? And I, I think that's part of maybe even, and I know this might sound crazy, but I've had some guests on the show who explain these dark forces as having a role ultimately in the universe for pushing us towards the light by mm -hmm. being there in the darkness. I mean, it sounds like kind of irrational on, on one point when you're like confronted with the evil, but in hindsight, do you feel that way yourself that like this was kind yeah. of pushing you towards a better life? The, yeah, there are biblical examples of when God says, you know, to the angels, who wants to go and do this bad thing or this whatever, you know, because sometimes that has to happen in order for people to understand the good. But, and I'm not saying that God does bad things to people. That wasn't the story in the Bible at all. But yeah, I do. I do think that that can have some merit, that something that comes across as not being very good, you, you go through those things. It's the trial by fire. It's the strengthening in the fire. You know, it's like putting that steel in the fire and strengthening it over and over again, or the pruning of a tree. You know, these things are hard to go through, but they ultimately, in the end, make you stronger and better and healthier and, you know, and more grateful for the things that we do have. So I think that there's a lot to what you said. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it, you know, it feels like when you look at things from those terms, like, oh, well, then being good, being bad, what's the point? I'll just do whatever I want, right? And I think that's kind of, again, that trap door that humans are again and again confronted with. And we have tons of, you know, instances in history where people do really terrible things. And yeah, I wonder um, in the afterlife, what happens next to those people? And I mean, I don't know how you feel about like reincarnation and things like that, but it does seem like these entities that are dark have lost any chance at going and ascending. Like it's almost like they've relegated themselves to that spot. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that even these like negative gray, tall grays can go to heaven eventually? Um, it, 
Yeah, I mean, well, when we're talking about demons, they're okay, so they're the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, right? They've already been condemned to wander the earth until judgment and then be judged. And, you know, I'm not God, so I don't have I only have the capacity to know what's written in the in the Bible mm-hmm. and what I'm given the information I'm given. And I don't even know that as well as, you know, I could oh my gosh, I could study it my whole life and never know it as well as I would like to. But and then as far as the angelic beings, you know, they chose to fall. They chose to leave God. Do they have a choice to go back? Well, the Bible basically tells us they don't, but I don't know that for sure. So I can't say either. I mean, our God is a compassionate and loving God and he loves his creations. And he always seems to be giving opportunities and chances. You know, he's always opening his arms and welcoming us back. So based on what I know, he's a loving and forgiving God. And we live right now in a dispensation of grace. You know, we're blessed to be in the time we are now because that's not going to last forever. When that's gone, then, you know, that's going to be a hard time to live because there's you're not going to have all these chances that we have. So, so it's, yeah, we're very blessed and we don't realize how blessed we are and we get away with a lot because of how much God loves us and because of his grace. But, you know, once you know better, then you have to do better. (laughs) And that's where, you know, that's where the change comes in. And once you know better and you really have God in your heart like that, you don't want to do those things anymore that you know are bad. So I think for someone doing those things, I just... I don't know why people do the things that they do. I do think some people can be easily possessed or oppressed by demonic entities. And I think that can have a lot to do with it. But I don't know if you saw the movie Nefarious. No. Highly recommend that. You would really love it. But it is definitely, it's about a man who's a serial killer, who's who's possessed by a demonic entity. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's very interesting. And if you watch it, give me a call. We'll talk about it after. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Well, we're at about. We didn't even get into my handler and stuff like that. So we'll have to, when you get the book. (laughs) Yeah. I bet you'll have more questions. And then I'm happy to come back and we can talk about it again. Because we've had so much to talk about. And I feel like the time just kind of flew by really fast today. So we'll wind down and I'll ask you where folks can buy the book. But yeah, I'd love to join, have you join me again once I read the book. Because it is something that I think the audience is going to love. And I'm really grateful that you joined me today. So where can folks support you and reach out to you, pick up this book and learn more? And I will give you all the links if I haven't already for your show notes. But the book is called Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. You cannot find it on Amazon yet. So I know everyone's been looking there for it. I've I've heard from a lot of people on that. I'm sorry. It's not there yet. It is on lamarzuli.net, though, exclusively. And that's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-I.net, exclusively at lamarzuli.net. So you're getting, if you go to that website and go to the shop, you'll find it right there. It's on the first page. You can go to my website, which is Karen Wilkinson Author. It's Karen, K-A-R-I-N-W-I-L-K-I-N-S-O-N, all eyes in there, author.com. Or you can find me on Facebook under my name or on Instagram under my name. And all of those have links to the website, all have links with how to get the book, all will have links to this interview and other interviews as well, as soon as I get everything updated. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. 
If you want to reach out to me on my website, you can send me a message. I will do my best to get back to you. I get a lot of messages, and so it does take me some time, but I do absolutely try to get back to everyone who messages me. So I do get a lot of messages, but please reach out to me through my website if you have any questions or you just want to share an experience or you just want to feel like there's someone out there that knows how you feel and you've been through something like this please reach out. You can get to me through there as well. I love that. Thank you. And yeah, I hope people do get in touch with you. And if you have had an experience like this, I hope this can help people, you know, get through it, you know, and Karen, God bless you for doing that. It is a, a hard road to, to walk down and you've walked it and now you're sharing your story and we appreciate you for it. So with that, folks, please do support Karen. Check it out at lamarzuli.net. Go to the show notes to click the links and get right there right now. And until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our conversation with Karen Wilkinson. Her book is Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest, and you can get it at lamarzuli.net. If you want to listen to the entire conversation where Karen and I discuss her thoughts on the end times, we talk in more detail about her abduction experiences and how humans may have been involved in these deep underground military bases. And of course, she tells me about her close encounters with the men in black. Um, very spooky stuff. And I really appreciate everybody who tuned in for this episode. Definitely a dark topic, you know, something that I want to explore more, the whole topic of aliens. So if you have any guests that you would like to see me interview, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. Of course, if you're a supporter on Patreon or Substack, your recommendations go to the top of the list. So do sign up and support the show. You can send us a one-time donation on Venmo, on PayPal, on Cash App. That helps me keep the lights on, keep the show going. And of course, if you want to get some bang for your buck, you want to get something in return, go to Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You can sign up to support the show. And uh, because I know you know it's the holidays coming up things you know are getting a little bit uh, more expensive and whatnot i opened up the uh three dollar and two dollar tiers which gives you access to the bonus episodes there's only a few spots available so if you can't afford the five dollar tier go and grab those tiers while they're still available we're trying to reach our goal of 250 supporters and we are not quite there we still need about 60 more supporters to get there so please do sign up and support the show you get an ad free experience and you get extended uh par portions of the conversation like today's episode with karen wilkinson as i described we talk about some very very startling stuff in the uh, bonus extended edition of the episode so go and check that out now and until next time folks 
look forward to some great guests on the way of course i got to give a big shout out to the hit kit the number one way to get lit go and check out the hit kit on instagram or go to their website hitkit.us garrett's got some amazing products there it's an american-made company american-made products nothing uh you know shipped over from china or anything like that and it's a quality contraption that you can use to store your smokes whatever you're smoking on joints blunts uh spliffs and your lighter of course all right there safe and sound in your hit kit so go and check that out and yeah that's about it for me folks of course sign up on the patreon or Substack to hear more from this episode and until next time immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on ya Subliminal messages hijack your perception Tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it The system is unraveling I'm astral traveling Through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey I embark with the squad Forever spitting truth like Mark on the pod Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap Dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety is no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade I awoke in a deep underground military base Zero recollection of how I got to this place Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders Must have been extracted when they crashed into us Animal hybrids contained in the cages A lion with the eagle head Monkeys with reptilian faces Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit All of a sudden the wall flickers away Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft My getaway, I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out Rob him for his plasma gun Hop in the ship, take the controls they highly intuitive, I figure it out easily Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel until I see the light Fly into the sky, get flanked by six F-35s Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers, searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are we the ones who gonna expose the whole facade. <laughs>